brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. Isaiah is there in the Old Testament. It's pretty close to the middle of your Bible, first of the major prophets. Isaiah chapter 1. Now, I've got a couple things that I want to say. You've got plenty of time to find Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, first of all, I'm going to preach as short as I can today, and I'm going to say, and I'm going to preach and say everything that I need to say today. All right, so reconcile that and make sense out of that. All right, uh, I'm going to preach what God says, and I'm going to try not to say nothing else. Um, I want to uh, the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning. I feel like I'm I'm going to pretty much present the problem describe the problem, but I'm probably only going to hint at the solution. The sermon tonight, uh, this is not a part one and a part two. Usually if I do a part one and a part two sermon, it's I preach the first half and then preach the second half. It's too long a sermon for one, for one service. This is, not, this is two separate sermons. But tonight's sermon piggybacks off of this morning's sermon. This morning's sermon is going to present the problem. Uh, tonight's sermon is going to focus on what we need to do about it, okay? Uh, and so, to, so this morning's might be a little more of God rebuking us. Tonight is going to be a little bit of more of uh, what we need to be doing. Uh, I want to read to you a few quotes. This is the Sunday that we're gathering together that is the closest to the 4th of July when we celebrate the uh, independence of our nation. Uh, I think it's important to, ha to understand where we come from. I think it's important to understand the thinking and the mindset of some of our founding fathers, right? That's what we refer to them. Uh, and so anyways, uh, let me just read to you. I have a few quotes that I like to read from this group of men. Uh, that was used, I believe, used of God in the beginning, the creation, the founding of our nation. And so let me, let me read to you a few quotes. But I want to start with a quote from the Declaration of Independence, right? That's kind of what started all of this, right? That's uh, really what we're celebrating July 4th, right? The Declaration of Independence. So the Declaration of Independence, it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men evolved equally. Now that ain't what it says. It says that all men were created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Right? They were created and they were given these rights by their creator, not by the Constitution, not even by the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is stating them already, not by, by, by some man, but by God. They all signed on to that. I mean, that is their thinking. That is their thought process. They weren't holding out, objecting to the wording of that. John Adams, our second president, before, of course, that he's president during the Revolutionary War, his battle cry, famously, was we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. Oh, how I long for a president today with that kind of heart, that kind of mindset, that would utter a phrase like that. We don't have one today that would utter a phrase like that. Benjamin Franklin, who is usually um, 
talked about today uh, by historical scholars of being the most, not really atheistic, but agnostic or at least theistic of the founding fathers. He said this, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Benjamin Franklin is saying, do you really think it's possible that this nation could rise without God's aid, without his hand, without his help? Patrick Henry, the guy who we all learned in school famously said, give me liberty or give me death. He also said, it cannot be emphasized too clearly and too often that this nation was that. Let me stop there for a second. There is people object about me reading some of these things, all right, at times in the past. I'm sure that there would be people today, hopefully nobody here, but if so, then so be it. I have actually, and I've read these quotes in years past, especially if the fourth falls on a Sunday or something, I've actually had people get mad and complain to me afterwards. But here, Patrick Henry says, it cannot be emphasized too clearly, or too often, right? He's saying more often than what I'm doing, too often that this nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't beat around the bush. He wasn't uh, vague, right? He wasn't even vague in what kind of Christianity he was talking about, right? Let alone what kind of religion. But he said, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read you this next quote. And tell me if you don't think this, this sounds like something that you would probably be afraid to, out, to say out loud in public, maybe, especially in mixed company, because people might think that you are some right-wing, disillusioned, religious zealot or not. Okay? Here's the quote. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian, or, yeah, our Christian nation to select and prefer... Christians for their rulers. This person is saying that we, we have been given the right to choose our rulers and not only is it our privilege, but it is in the best interest of our Christian nation, his phrase, not mine, to select and prefer. Right? When you go to vote, what you're looking for and what you select, what you prefer and what you select is Christians for office. That in today's way of thinking, you shouldn't even take that, right? The world, our society, our nation will tell you, you shouldn't even take that into your thinking, right? They will tell people, if you're going to run for office, you need to, you need to divorce yourself from your personal beliefs, right? I heard that uh, justified for some of the administration today, that their personal beliefs have no effect on their policy. That's not what this person was saying. Do you know who that quote is from? John Jay, the first chief justice of the Supreme Court. That's who said that. 
Did you know, talking about the Supreme Court, did you know that the Ten Commandments are engraved? There is, there, there's two huge solid wooden doors I mean they're heavy they're huge that are that you go through that you open and go through to go into the actual chambers of the Supreme Court and do you know that great big engraved there on those doors of the Supreme Court uh, and not only there but also it's over the chair of the Chief Justice is the Ten Commandments did you know that the Ten Commandments are engraved there do you think maybe They were trying to make a statement when they did that. George Washington, our first president, said it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. Amen? Can I I just give you another piece of symbolism right in our history as a nation having to do with what George Washington say that's impossible right he's saying that there's no way that you can rightly govern this nation without God in the Bible did you know that in the cornerstone right that is something on, on a fancy building or whatever that's usually done as some sort of a um symbolism right there's a little ceremony it's a symbolic act right that's setting that cornerstone because it's so important right and embedded in the cornerstone of both the washington monument and the national archives right that building right in washington dc is a bible I, I, i mean i'm not trying to get into anything here but a king james bible is set there in the cornerstone of both of those monu- that monument and that building. Do you not think that the people who were doing that were making some sort of a statement? Andrew Jackson, our seventh president, and he's known for being ornery, raising ruckus, okay? He, he, he's been known for being a little bit wild, but he said this, in reference to the Bible, He was speaking one day and he said, that book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. That's kind of the same thing that they're saying in the the cornerstone of that monument in that building. One more, Daniel Webster, and and I'll stop with this. If Daniel Webster said, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, Right? So he's saying if we as a nation live according to the principles taught here in the scriptures, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. Right? So he's saying if we'll, if, we'll, if we'll govern and live and abide according to what God has taught in his word, our country will do well. But if we and our posterity, I had to look that up, that means our future generations, children, grandchildren, so on. If we and our posterity neglect its instructions and authority. No man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all of our glory in profound obscurity. Spoken like a prophet. Look at what is happening and what we're seeing. Look at what has become of the land that we live in. 
I told you Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to read several scriptures here to you this morning. Let's start at verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amaz, right which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heaven, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth... Uh, knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib but Israel doth not know uh, my people uh, doth not consider all sinful nation of people laden with iniquity a seed of evildoers children that are corruptors have they forsaken the Lord they have uh, provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger they are gone away backwards why should ye be stricken any more? Ye uh, will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and purifying sores. They have been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers and the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers as a besieged city except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah hear the word of the Lord ye rulers of Sodom give ear unto the law of our God ye people of Gomorrah to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of lambs and of he of he or of he goats. Verse twelve. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to uh, tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts. My soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you one more time here this morning thanking you for the wonderful day and the many blessings. And Lord, I am simply going to ask two things from you this morning. Give me the words to speak and give, give us the ears to hear. Lord, that's my desire this morning. God, fill, anoint me from on high. Fill my mouth with your message. Give me the very words you'd have me to speak here this morning. My desire is to say only that and nothing else and nothing more. And God, I pray for each one here. Lord, open their eyes, give them ears to hear what you would say. 
by your spirit this morning and God let that word find a lodging place deep in their heart and take root and grow and move them and transform them from the inside out into the image of your son and we'll give you all the glory we love you we worship you and we praise your holy name and we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus amen Isaiah chapter 1, you've got to understand, is a collection of Isaiah's messages from different contexts, and they've been brought together here uh, to introduce his ministry as a whole, right? It's, it was intentional, right? Uh, he, Isaiah done this on, on purpose, right? He, he's really here in the beginning showing you the end of his ministry, right? And so anyways, the trouble that is presented, I read to you the first paragraph of the book of Isaiah, okay? And so the trouble that this first main paragraph describes actually didn't come at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, right? We'll read about the, the beginning of Isaiah's ministry. What is that? In Isaiah chapter 6 when he says, Here am I, Lord, send me. Right? So anyways, here, what takes place, what we're reading about here in Isaiah chapter 1 actually doesn't take place, right? It's describing events that happen later. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's described in chapters 37 and 38 of the book of Isaiah. So, the, so what is written at the beginning is a description of what happens at the end, but it is serves as an introduction, right, uh, uh, to introduce the account of his ministry as a whole. Now, as I said a minute ago, we have a literal picture here that I'm going to try to bring some meaning to, some more meaning to, but we have a literal picture of one that is painted in the scripture in Isaiah chapter 37 and 38, and it describes how the Assyrians invade Judah and all but crush it. Now, the invasion of the Assyrians into Judah is God's judgment on the nation of Judah, right? The southern kingdom. And when the Assyrians invade, they take all the cities in, Jeru in Judah except for Jerusalem itself. Jerusalem itself is the only one that they do not take. It is left there like a lonely hut that sits in the middle, as Isaiah describes it, that sits in the middle of a vineyard or a patch of cucumbers, think of a, a melon patch, kind of, like out, kind of like a little hut in the field that's a shelter for the people who are supposed to keep watch over the produce. Judah is almost as devastated as Sodom and Gomorrah which is actually quite appropriate given that they have behaved like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now let me, I'm not going to walk through every verse by any means, but let's go back and look at a few key verses. Verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The people are rebellious, okay? Verse 3, the ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. The people did not know the hand that fed them and took care of them. The ox and the donkey, right? They knew, right? They knew the hand that fed them and took care of them. But God is saying these, these dumb animals are smarter than the people because the people had forgotten who it is that feeds them and who it is that takes care of them. Verse 4, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, 
a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have uh, provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. They have turned away from God and are loaded down with sins. They have turned their backs on God. They have come to the point they actually hate God and they have provoked God to anger. Look at verse 5. Why should ye be stricken uh, any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and purifying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. The effects of sin on the people in the land are devastating. It is killing them. And, and the worst things get the more the people rebel against God. They are sin sick. That's the description here. And in verse 8 and 9, the last two I want you to relook at. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been a Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. There is a small, the picture that is given here is there is a small structure left standing in the midst of carnage. All around it is nothing but death, destruction, and disease. Everywhere is total desolation except for this one small little structure. This little structure is the very remnant that God has preserved. Now, here's the important thing to remember about this. They didn't keep themselves. The Syrians did not destroy Jerusalem because the people in Jerusalem were so mighty of fighters and they just held off the superpower. No, no. The only thing that stopped the Assyrians was God. They didn't keep themselves. God kept them. Listen to me. As we stand around and we see strangers devouring our land, uh, foreigners is what I mean by that, right? As, as we see things going, right? You don't keep you. God keeps you. I see a parallel to our current situation. The remnant just like he describes here, in our day and time, is the church. But it's the true church, okay? Uh, that true church is not as big as the church that meets on Sunday morning. The church that meets on Sunday morning has both wheat and tares in it. You want to learn about that? Go read uh, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus teaches about that, okay? But that is the facts. The true church contains both wheat and tares. It, it, it contains both the true seed of God growing up and it, it, it contains those that were sown by the enemy as well. Now, I've got five facts, right? I, I, I picked five sets of scripture to make a point. I've got five facts about our current situation to illustrate why I think this is a parallel and then I'm quitting for the day. 
for the morning, not for the day. Right? You come back tonight. First of all, we've kicked God out of our schools and off of our public squares. We are taking down. I described to you the Ten Commandments and how it is in the Supreme Court. Mark my words, the things keep going like they are, and it's not long until that will be erased from there as well. We are taking down the Ten Commandments in our courthouses. We are moving the cross from our memorials Right? That's been a few years ago, all the World War I memorials, right? And they used the crosses that was used there. They're all gone, right? We are removing the cross from our memorials, and we are afraid, we are afraid to put up a manger scene on public property. We have reached a point where we are obsessed with being what is considered public or um, politically correct today. My second point, he said that the donkey knew who fed it and the ox knew who his owner was. We have forgotten where we come from. I tried to read to you a few quotes from our founding fathers that recognized that they weren't able to do what they did on their own, but it was only with the aid and help of God by the power of God. We have forgotten where we've come from. We no longer believe that God is the source of all of our blessings. We think we did it. Right? That's what you see professed and, and, and proclaimed by people is just American. Well, for a long time it was American ingenuity and American hard work and so on and so forth. Now what is being, right? That I guess didn't pan out of work for them. So now what is being peddled is that we stole it. We're a bunch of thieves and we come in and we stole it. And that's the only reason as a nation that we prospered and done well. We have forgotten the hand that fed us. We have forgotten that God is the only reason that we're here. We no longer believe that God is the source of all of our blessings. We think somehow we're responsible. Either we worked for it or we stole it. Either way, we're responsible for it. We deny the fact that our founding principles were biblical principles that the founding fathers found in the scriptures. We have turned our backs. Right? This is my third one. We have turned our backs on God. We now decide this no longer governs us. We no longer rule according to this. But we have decided, right, that what, that we can now decide what is right and what is wrong. We think that God is out of date. We think that he's old-fashioned. We think that he is primitive and that we no longer need him. We believe that we have gotten so smart and we have advanced so much as a a society, as a civilization, as a culture that we've advanced far enough uh, and become too smart to need a primitive God, right? We have now become our own gods, right? The same trap that Eve fell into in the Garden of Eden, right? We have become our own gods, knowing what is right and wrong, doing what is right and wrong in our own sight. The same thing, read the last verse in the book of Judges, the same thing that was the fall of that time period as well, right? We are completely immersed in sin. My fourth one. Listen closely. Our homes and our families, they lay in waste. They are destroyed 
I don't know all of you personally well enough to be able to speak for you. I know some of you well enough to, but I can speak for myself, my own family. Praise the Lord for my wife and my two kids, but I'm talking extended family beyond that. I'm talking my own parents. I'm talking aunts and uncles. I'm talking uh, nieces and nephews. I am talking cousins, right? Our homes and families are destroyed because of sin, right? Do, do you see the desolation all around, the destroyed lives, the destroyed homes, the destroyed families because of sin? Our lives have been laid waste because, and I'm speaking wholly as a nation here, because of our sins. Our children and our grandchildren are dead because of sin. You think I'm crazy? Look around for a minute. Let me point out a couple of the obvious. Look at all of the, of the, of, of the young men and women that we've lost because of drugs and because of, uh, uh, of alcohol and because, I mean, we could just go down the list, right? I mean, we have a, 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 an epidemic, a crisis of uh, methamphetamines and, and opioids, and I can't even hardly say it, but all those kinds of drugs and things like that. Our children are dying. Our grandchildren are dying and dead because of sin. We're already destroyed. We are dead because of our sins and we don't even realize it. And that's a definition of a zombie? And then the fifth thing. In the midst of this destruction, this carnage, We are left. Remember that word left. I'm going to urge you more than I ever have before. Come back tonight and remember that word left because that's where I'm going to take off tonight. Left. In the midst of this, we are left. We are surrounded by this carnage. Standing in the wreck heap of the greatest war the world has ever known. It is not a world war in the sense of World War I or World War II. It's not a war in the sense of a nuclear war. It is not a war in the sense of a war on drugs or anything like that. This is a spiritual war. And it is still being waged around us and among us right now. What shall we do? I'm going to give you the answer tonight. Remember the word left. But let me give you some taste and some hints here. Should we fight? Should we put, up, put on our armor, take up our sword, and fight? That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Listen. Before you start thinking... Let me just stop there. That's a taste. Come back tonight. Before you start thinking too highly of yourself, right? Because I've said, here we are. We're the remnant left with destruction and carnage all around us. Before you start thinking too highly of yourself. Because what happens, what comes from that is you start looking down on all those walking dead that are dead in sin and don't even realize that they're dead. I want you to remember a couple things. 
The only thing that separates you and me from them is Jesus. The only thing that keeps you and me from the same fate that they are suffering is the blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing that keeps you and me from being eaten up with the same lusts and same desires that eat them like a cancer and have killed them or are killing them is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Can I remind you what God said to his people in Isaiah's day and he's saying to our people today, you did not keep you. I'm talking to a remnant, but remember who you are in your place and the hand that feeds you and protects you and takes care of you. You did not keep you. God kept you. God kept you and he kept me and he kept us for a person. Remember that? Or for a purpose. Remember that word left, right? He, we are left here for a purpose. We are kept for a purpose for a day for such a time as this. Jennifer, that's it. That's all I'm giving you this morning. As, as she is coming for a song of invitation, I'm going to ask you to stand. I don't know how the Holy Spirit may be dealing with you right now, but I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, you be obedient to the leading of the Spirit of God. If God is moving on you and He's dealing with your heart, then please take heed and listen. If you want to come and pray, if God is, if the Spirit is drawing you, then will you come and pray? Maybe you've got a burden on your heart for somebody. Then again, maybe it's you. Maybe God is dealing with you. I'm begging you, would you come this morning? Maybe you're lost and undone. Maybe you realize this morning. Maybe you knew even before you stepped in here, you're not where you ought to be. You're not living like you ought to be, right? You're not... You, you, you've not surrendered to God. You're still doing what you want to do. You've not made Jesus Lord of your life. You've not repented of your sins. You've not turned to Him. You're not trusting in Him. You're trusting in yourself. That I'm begging you, come this morning before it's too late. I, you're one of the walking dead I've been talking about this morning. Come, right? There is life here, right? Uh, he is ready, right? He's wanting. Uh, would you come this morning? Whatever the need is here this morning, would you come? Spirit of God drawing you, would you come? Maybe you just simply have a heavy burden for a situation or for a person. Come and pray for them. Whatever it is, would you come? Would you come?